Chapter Twenty of the Fate of Fenella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Fate of Fenella, Chapter Twenty, by H. W. Lucy, Through Fire and Water. Six hours before the time Fenella beheld with fevered fancy the light cast by the burning ship over the illimitable waters, the Danic, with steam shut down, was slowly drifting outside Cork Harbor. She was waiting for the tender to come alongside to take off the mails and bear away the passengers who, having had enough of the open sea, preferred to take the shortcut by train across Ireland, and so home by Holyhead. There had not chanced to be any special cause for quitting snug quarters on board the steamer. The Danic had made a splendid voyage. Not once had the fiddles appeared on the dining-table to the accompaniment of smashing crockery in the steward's pantry. Day after day the passengers had been able to sit out on their deck-chairs, enjoying the sunshine, the fresh breeze and the sparkling sea, through which for hours together the tireless dolphins swam emulous of the vessel's buoyant speed. Two days out they had passed close by a whale, who cheerily spouted farewell as they speeded by. Ronny looked on with grave eyes. He had often heard of a whale, but never before seen one. "'Will Jonah come out by and by?' he asked Jacinth, his constant companion, who held him standing on the rail. "'No, I think not,' Jacinth answered gravely. Jonah, you remember, did not find the quarters so comfortable that he was likely ever to seek them again of his own free will. Residence in a whale, however temporary, is an experience that satisfies an ordinary man for a lifetime. The whale is only spouting, getting rid of superfluous water taken in from the great depths. Well, said Ronny, his quick sympathies moved in another direction. He must get very thirsty if he does that often. Ronnie had thriven wondrously on the broad Atlantic, which had in no sense proved a disappointment to him. He was a prime favorite with all on board, the pet of the sailors, more particularly of the boatswain, whose whistle he was sometimes privileged to sound. Next to Jacinth he was fonder of the boatswain than anyone else. Even then of his father, whose mood was less attuned to that of the light-hearted, healthy lad, whom the stewards did their best to endow with dyspepsia by surreptitiously feeding him at unlawful hours with spoil from the dessert. He would sit by the hour on a coil of ropes, his big eyes fixed intently on the brown-visaged boatswain, who told him stirring tales, probably not all true, of seafaring life. At first he had full run of the ship, and availed himself of the privilege. Father, he said, running breathlessly up to Lord Francis one morning when they were in mid-Atlantic, what do you think? I've seen Mrs. Clutterbuck. The little fellow, who in ordinary circumstances seemed to know no fear, trembled in every limb, and as far as was possible with sun and wind-tanned face was pitifully pale. Where? asked Lord Francis, with a sign of equal perturbation. Forward, said Ronny who had not in vain sat with the boatswain, and never now spoke of going downstairs when he should say going below. I was standing by the rail at the end of the hurricane deck, looking at the passengers playing cards on the steerage deck, when she came along. 
she beckoned to me to go down to her but i turned and bolted was she by herself no there were a lot of people around she wasn't speaking to anyone nor anyone to her are you sure it was her quite she smiled just as she did when she came down in the country to take me away to join mother i liked her smile then but i don't now ronnie said his father taking his hand and leading him aft i want you to promise me something will you yes father said the boy promptly looking straight at him with eyes that never lied then you must never leave this deck for the lower one whether in the steerage or amidships it's quite big enough for a little fellow like you you promise me yes father said ronnie and kept his word to something more than the letter limiting his excursions forward to the capstan some distance from the steerage end perhaps he would not have gone so far but it was here his friend the boatswain when his turn came kept his watch and sitting there ronnie was careful to turn his back upon the bow so that by no chance might he again see that evil face with the smile he though all unused to the world recognized as false on this bright evening off queenstown ronnie was in a condition of special glee jacinth had put in the sweepstakes on the day's run a sovereign in the name of ronnie and ronnie had won the stake good gracious cried jacinth holding him at arm's length what on earth is a little mite like you going to do with fifty pounds i know said ronnie his eyes beaming with delight i remember when we were staying at harrogate having a ride in a donkey chase it was very nice but mother told me that the donkeys here are nothing like what grow in the streets of cairo when she was there she had two white donkeys as tall as a horse with beautiful ears as long as my arm and great brown eyes that look at you as if they wondered whether you could be so cruel as to want them to trot through dusty streets on a hot day mother often said she would like to have a pair of donkeys like she had in cairo pharaoh and ramses were their names together with a little carriage to hold her and me i'll buy her the whole turnout with my fifty pounds and we'll go driving about all by ourselves through jersey guernsey alderney and sark well that's pretty selfish of you said jacinth who keenly realized the joys of the situation as pictured by the boy only he would have liked to have rearranged the company behind ramses and pharaoh they were all and always thinking of a woman waiting and watching in guernsey lord francis with wistful eyes thought of love jacinth with dumb gnawing pain ronny with eager desire to see her smile hear her voice and feel her arms sheltering him lord castleton having some doubt as to whether she was worthy of it all and madame de vigny well madame de vigny did not talk of the direction her thoughts took it was so near the dinner hour that it had been decided to postpone dinner till the mails and passengers bound for queenstown had left the tender was close in sight rolling and pitching in a manner that seemed inscrutable to the throng leaning over the taffrail the magnificent dannick stood immovable as a stone pier on the rolling tide the tender was speedily freighted with innumerable bags containing the mails some thirty passengers followed amid hearty farewells from newly made friends left behind and many appointments were registered to meet again in london or paris with the last group there stepped 
toward the gangway a tall figure a woman closely veiled carrying a small bag in her hand just as she was stepping on the gangway the tender gave a lurch that dislodged the railed plank two passengers already on it narrowly escaped the disaster they had just managed to skip onto the paddle box of the tender when amid loud cries of stand back addressed to the group pressing forward onto the dannick half a dozen ready hands hauled the gangway out of its aslant position and made things smooth again once more the tall veiled figure pressed forward when one of the steerage passengers roughly gripped her by the shoulder and thrust her back not on this journey madame he said seizing her wrist with a grip of iron your passage is booked all the way to liverpool and we may as well make the most of the journey the woman turned on her captor with the fury of a trapped lioness for a moment it seemed as if she would grapple with him and since she was nearly his height it would have been a desperate conflict probably ending with a death grip under water for a moment the idea flashed over the mind of madame de vigny she felt her game was up wearied with the squalor of her unused condition she did not care how soon she handed in the checks but she remembered that she still had one card to play over which she had brooded in the dead unhappy night as she lay wide awake in her narrow berth perhaps you'd better have let me go she said to the man whose plain clothes disguised his vocation of police sergeant then she sauntered slowly back conscious that among the crowd on the hurricane deck curiously watching this episode was the man she really began to love with desperate affection now that her charms no longer lured him and he was restlessly counting every mile that separated him from the white curtained rose garlanded cottage in guernsey where his wife awaited his coming jacinth i wish i was certain to live for ten years or even for three said lord francis onslow in the low nervous voice that had recently become habitual to him the two friends were walking up and down the deck smoking their last cigar four bells had sounded and they had the deck pretty much to themselves save for the ghostly figures of the watch that moved with noiseless footsteps to and fro when they came on deck after dinner the moon was shining and far away on the starboard bow they could clearly discern the coast of ireland lying like a dark shadow on the moonlit water even as they walked and talked the scene changed it had not at any time of the day been perfectly calm as the passengers on the tender found as they made their way into queenstown harbor now it was blowing pretty fresh from the southwest bringing up angry-looking clouds that from time to time hid the moon promising presently finally to obscure its light they were drawing up to carnsore point and were soon in the race of the channel by this time they had found their sea-legs and though the wind played havoc with their cigars as they paced about and they gave up the attempt to keep pace in walking they held on jacinth's spirits rising with the boisterous breeze ten years old man why you're only thirty at most turned middle milestone good for another thirty at least and why should you not see threescore years and ten because said lord francis i'm pretty well played out at thirty i've warmed both hands at the fire of life and burnt them too you remember when we were in paris last year going to see emile angier in the play jean de thonnieret 
often of late one scene comes back to me the silent quai malachay which on the eve of the beleaguering of paris the daylight even has deserted upon it jean enters sceptic and libertine who jeers at his friend who has taken the trouble to get wounded in the struggle with the germans closing round the capital suddenly a military band approaches playing a march thomeray knew when a child in far-off brittany at sight of the breton mobile marching along at quick step to meet the enemy of the country thomeray's heart swells and bursts the bonds in which his scoffing nature had permitted itself to be bound you remember how he steps forward and claims a place in the breton ranks Keet woo they ask looking distrustfully at his fine gentleman's clothes i am he said a man who has lived ill and would die well that am i jacinth but it would not be meet that i should die just yet i've been a fool and worse but if i had only three years two years one year to pay some of my long debt to fenella i wouldn't care about what might follow it's been all my fault from first to last i want time to tell her that and to make some slight amends nonsense onslow you're hipped perhaps seasick shall we turn in you might as we shall be in the mersey early in the morning and there's packing up to be done but i'll take another turn good night well if you send me to bed good night i dare say another ten minutes in the fresh air will take the blues out of you for another hour lord francis tramped up and down unconscious of the unlit cigar in his mouth thinking of the time when he first met fenella of the years of idyllic happiness that followed their wedding day of ronnie's appearance on the scene of the little rift in the lute that unwatched broadened slowly and made all the music of their young lives moot softly he sang to himself farewell farewell a river flows between going to be a nasty night said a tarpaulined figure looming out of the murk that enveloped the forepart of the deck over which the spray drifted as the danic plunged her head into the angry sea and lifting it again shook it as a retriever dashes the water off its front so it seems bosun said lord francis but we're not far off port now good night good night my lord better not leave things loose about in your stateroom to-night jacinth slept the sleep of a man with a quiet conscience and a good digestion who had passed the greater part of the day on deck of a ship over which swept strong air blown across the broad atlantic he rarely dreamt but on this particular night some two hours after he had bidden lord francis good night and turned into the stateroom he had all to himself he began tossing about with a great weight on his mind if he had a weakness in the matter of personal dress it was centred upon his stockings of rich red wool and ribbed as is the salt sea sand he had a shapely leg and missed no opportunity when out of town of displaying it with the advantage of knickerbocker dress he was dreaming now that a great calamity had befallen his treasured store of stockings a spark from the funnel of the steamer which as he went below he had seen streaming fire into the dark night had in the unaccountable way peculiar to dreams fallen upon his bundle of stockings snugly ensconced in his box in the stateroom and they were hopelessly smouldering 
in vain he struggled to rise seize a jug of water and souse them something held him down by the chest and he could not move his terror seemed to have communicated itself to the passengers and crew hurried feet trampled on deck overhead voices sounded in eager talk and the boatswain's whistle shrilly rose above the row of the waves that thunderously beat aft the shattered port light possibly help would come in time and some of the stockings would be saved a rattle at the door jacinth almost awake cried come in an invitation quite superfluous for the door burst open look alive sir shouted the boatswain entering hurriedly ship's afire and the boats are being got ready and ronny said jacinth wide awake now the nightmare of the burning stockings uplifted the young un's all right i seed to him first and his father's got him in tow better slew on as many things as you can it'll be bad in the boats till morning breaks jacinth was not long in dressing foregoing in his haste to the luxury of his worsted stockings which he had full time to regret when he went on deck a strange sight met his eye the passengers fully two hundred in number were massed together aft of the bridge most of the women bareheaded and all showing signs of hasty dressing from one of the hatches near the wheel a dense volume of smoke poured forth now and then with increasing frequency lit up by tongues of flame on either side of the hatch a line of blue jackets plied hose and bucket in ineffectual struggle with the growing furnace a singular quietness prevailed there was a murmur of conversation among the closely packed crowd of passengers a sharp word of command from the first officer in charge of the fire brigade rose from time to time above the howling wind and the war of the turbulent waves that dashed against the bulwarks as if possessed with passionate desire to get at the flames ronny his father holding one hand and lord castleton the other stood on the outer fringe of the crowd aft as near as he could get to the fire which he was evidently enjoying as the best thing he had seen since the whale disappeared the captain and second officer stood on the bridge and through the wheelhouse window could be seen four grim faces of the blue-jacketed giants whose curiously cheery voices answered the captain's signals with the cry starboard steady it is sir the captain leaning over the rail of the bridge and addressing the crowd of trembling but quiet passengers said friends below there i hope you're all comfortably wrapped up this is a bad job but there's no danger if it had come an hour later we should have made for hollyhead and put in all right but with this wind and the start the fire has got i don't think we could carry on so far the land is close by if there were daylight we could see it the ship is now making for a spit of land at the back of full there is a smooth mile of beach there which if i can make it will bring the ship up comfortably and you can walk ashore in your slippers jacinth led a cheer for the gallant captain which was taken up by the passengers and seemed to do them an immense amount of good after this the wonderful quietness once more fell over the doomed ship that sped onward swiftly through the sea that was now as rough as the boatswain's forecast had pictured on the crowded deck all was as orderly as if according to their daily habit the passengers had mustered to take a look round before going down to dinner the wind now blowing what even a sailor would have admitted to be half a gale whistled shrilly through the creaking spars 
the course taken by the ship brought it more abaft and sometimes a gust blew the smoke from the burning hatch under and across the bridge choking the passengers and hiding the captain and second mate from view but for the most part it blew clear away over the starboard side leaving the vessel amidships and forward clear enough land ahead sung out the lookout man the sing-song voice of the man throwing the lead showed how nearly they were approaching the coast the outline of which was recognized in the deeper shadow on the horizon half-speed the captain signaled to the engine-room but the half-speed of an atlantic liner soon bridges space and nearer and nearer came the dark line of the coast straining eyes looked out from beneath the bridge could make out the outline of a mountain at the foot of which nestled the smooth beach that was to give them safety and rest nearer and nearer it came and higher and higher rose hope nothing between it and them but the sea rough enough but nothing to the majestic liner even with its hatches full of fire the water steadily shallowed as the monotonous cry of the leadsman marked minute by minute the lessening fathoms suddenly even as the leadsman sang out his last record a crash resounded through every fibre of the ship the danic came as suddenly to a halt as if she had run up against penman mower the crowd amidships were knocked down pell-mell over each other as if a giant hand had swept across them at the level of the chin the captain leaning against the rail of the bridge on the starboard side was pitched headlong into the sea that proved the worst thing of all the second officer left in command on the bridge at this critical moment signalled to the engine-room go astern full speed that seemed an order natural enough though the veteran captain irving would not have been led into so fatal a mistake the danic had run on to a jagged rock which rose like a spearhead out of the sea and had literally embedded itself in the hull of the steamer had the ship been kept head-on it might have hung suspended the jagged rock serving to stanch the wound it had made at least long enough for the boats to be launched and every one to quit the ship the mighty screw reversing its action in obedience to the word of command slowly but irresistibly drew the ship back the terrified passengers could hear the iron plates ripped open and barely was the vessel free from the rock than she began to go down by the head there was a rush for the boats they were ready and in perfect order but with the sea rushing in tons through the great gap in the hull there was neither time nor opportunity for the marshalling of the now terrified passengers it was not generally known that the captain had gone overboard and the officers expecting him to issue instructions hesitated somehow the boats filled and four were safely launched the two last had not far to fall from the height of the davits the bulwarks being now almost level with the water just as their keels touched the sea the great steamer went down by the head sucking them under as soon as the collision came jacinth had darted forward to the spot where he had seen ronny standing fearing no evil for his hand was in his father's when he came up to them lord castleton had disappeared swept away they surmised in the rush for the boats jacinth as he made his way aft caught sight of madame de vigny and her escort clambering into one of the boats 
"'Come along, Onslow. I'll carry Ronnie,' said Jacinth. "'Yes, but let the women go first. "'So we will, but not all the men,' said Jacinth, "'grimly eyeing the crowd fighting round the nearest boat. "'My lord, and you, sir,' said the boatswain, coming by, "'take my advice. "'Don't be in a hurry about the boats. "'She's settling down. "'In five minutes there won't be a bulwark above water-line.' but the masts and spars will be aloft safe and dry till morning fetch the young un along and i'll give you a hand up the mainmast there's nothing more i can do below look alive and hold on tight you'll feel a bump in another moment with a final lurch forward the ship went down and the waves at last had their will on the seething mass in the hatchway from secure if not comfortable quarters in the main top Lord Francis, Jacinth, and Ronnie saw the two boatloads swamped, heard the seething roar of the waters as they closed over the burning hatch, and listened with chilled hearts to the shrieks of drowning men and women that filled the air. It seemed a long night, but it was really only three hours before, with the morning light, a steamship bound for Liverpool, after giving a fair start down the channel to its charge, caught sight of the wreck, and took off what at first seemed to be the only survivors. And, said Jacinth, as he sat in the captain's cabin, forgetful of his own stockingless state, and chafed Lord Onslow's numbed hands and feet, if we had been four strings of priceless pearls hanging on to the yard-arm, they couldn't have been more delighted to have plucked us off. End of chapter 20